What is up, Surf Splendor listeners? Welcome back to the show. I am David Scales, your host of Surf Splendor, as always. Um, man, lots happened in surfing since we last recorded. I think it's been three weeks. Um, last week, Scott and I were going to record after Rio, uh, and then you know the event got pushed back towards the end of the week. It, Scott's been sick. There's been um, a number of things that have prevented us from meeting and bringing you this show, but here it is. Thrilled to be back. So yeah, in today's show, the news was released this morning that Kelly Slater's wave pool which has been a hot topic of conversation, has actually been purchased by the WSL, the World Surf League. So we've got that to discuss. We've got the Oi Rio Pro to discuss. We have the upcoming Fiji event to discuss, but um, kind of more importantly or more certainly more newsworthy at the moment is that it was 15 foot at cloud break the last couple of days and um, lots of things happened there. Aaron Gold almost died and uh, gives us a lot to look forward to not in relation to Aaron's incident, but just with that swell gives us a lot to look forward to with the WCT events that are coming in the next couple of weeks. So lots to discuss in this show. I hope that you've been getting waves. Um, Southern California has been pretty bad, actually. There's a little swell, but just horrible wind basically every day, morning, noon, and night. So I have been dry for a fair bit, and I'm anxious not only get in the water, but just get some physical activity going. There's something on the way, so I'll be all right. Don't worry about me. But hopefully you've gotten a few waves. And um, looking forward to diving back in. So without much further ado, I guess the only things that I should remind you is just on social media at Surf Splendor and then our website, surfsplendorpodcast.com. Leave a comment in the comment section. Share the show with friends. Blah, blah, blah. You know what to do. All right, without further ado, enjoy today's show, Surf News, for May 24th with our co-host, Scott Bass. Enjoy. Yeah, guy. Yeah, guy. Welcome, everybody, down the line, Surf Talk Radio. It's Tuesday, the 24th of May, the year 2016. David Lee Scales and Scott Bass with you here in the... Surfing Heritage and Culture Center Library slash boardroom. Yeah, guy. Thank you for persevering, Scott. We are behind schedule in terms of up, you know, releasing shows. And then today or yesterday, Scott texted me saying that he was deathly ill on his deathbed and he might not survive the day, much less be able to report a, record a podcast tomorrow. So I shamed him for our listeners and insisted that he rally. And uh, here he is. Well, you know, um, when I woke up this morning, I was like, oh, my God, I'm going to have to text David and say, no, I can't do this. Did you really? Yeah. And then, you know, I had a cup of coffee. I do my surf report for the radio shows down in San Diego. And and then I saw the Kelly Slater Wave Company thing come across. Yep. And I was just like, I'm just going to have to drink some coffee and battle up here and do this. If you're going to honor your... Uh, surf report obligation, then you got to honor the podcast. Obligation. The podcast <laughs> is much heavier obligation. Well, before we get as, into that, yeah, you often, uh, we end up talking about music at the beginning of shows a lot of times yeah. unintentionally, but it happens. Yeah. But today is Bob Dylan's birthday. <laughs> you mean, <laughs> you mean, uh, Floyd the Barber from the Andy Griffith show? No, I mean one of the greatest musicians of all times. Robert, Not musicians, but what's his name? Robert song, song Wasserman, writers. Robert 
What's his yeah, name? Yeah, I'm not sure. I'll figure it out. It's like but Robert Wasserman or something. Or do, Robert. You, do you like him? I don't... It, I don't not like Bob Dylan. I'm okay. quite frankly, I'm kind of naive to him. I know that he's one of the greatest songwriters ever. Like, if you actually read his lyrics without the music sure. and without him singing it, it's pretty insane. You know, like he's written some of the greatest, like you know, the song "Like a Rolling Stone." Yeah, straight up poet. Um, yeah, straight up poet. And um, it's funny, right? Because we have that old that old cella thing that's happening. Yeah. Um, this November, I think it is, or something out in India. Right. Where it's the Stones and Dylan and the Who and Neil Young. Neil Young. Yeah. And um and you know, some of my friends are like, Oh yeah, I'm go- I've got a buddy that's going, you know. The tickets right. are super pricey, by the way. I know. Otherwise I'd go, to be honest. And um and he's seen Dylan and he's like, you know what? Dylan's not that good in concert. He's the worst, dude. I've seen him. Yeah. And I'm a huge fan. And it was like unbearable. I I think we made it to the end, but we might have actually left a little bit early. It was just like, first of all, he's got so many hits that he doesn't play them, and I he heard. doesn't really play them. He plays anything, he, but he, even even if he did play them all, he could do two hours of hits, you know, and then not play a lot of the other ones because he's got four hours worth of hits or whatever. But um, he was playing a ton of music that I didn't know. Um, and he wasn't playing it well. He's I just know. he's mumbling. I, yeah, he in mumbles. The, he's like Floyd the Barber from the Andy totally. Griffith show. And the mix is uh, uh, Andy. Andy, uh, let me. <laughs> yeah, I can't even do it. But. The sound engineering or the mix is just off. So it's just like you just hear like wailing guitar, and you can't really hear anything else. And it's just odd. Um, but I love him. Just as I love listening to his music. You know, I'm a well, we got fan. into a big conversation about what are. What are the top three rock and roll bands of all time? Hmm. You know, sort of a standard conversation that you get into with your friends from time to time, right? The greatest rock and roll bands of all time, like the top three. What'd you come up with? Well, the sort of the elephant in the room is the the, the Beatles. Like the Beatles aren't really rock and roll. I mean, they are rock and roll, but they I were s- at the time. I sense the that the Beatles are they're sort of in their own category almost. You sure. know, like they're not really. I don't want to call them pop. But they're sort of poppy. Like when you think of rock and roll, you think of, okay, I'm going to throw a TV set out of the hotel window, you know? And that's not the Beatles. I disagree. The Beatles it. are kind of their own thing, I think. But you're right. though, throwing the thing out of the, the hotel room, the TV out of the hotel room. That was an era of rock and roll that existed where that was the norm. But when the Beatles came around, they were rock and roll, you know? I Again, you know, to me, rock, like the, the two greatest rock and roll bands of all time, number one is the Rolling Stones and number two is Led Zeppelin. Mm. And to me, that is, okay, kick out the jams, heart pounding rock and roll. The Beatles are just beautiful melodies and harmonies, a lot of sure. harmonies and, you know, gorgeous music and symphonies and just, you know, I just, but, but, but they're probably the best band ever. Right. You know, so you can't really put them in that category of rock and roll. Like if you, if you just sort of subcategorize it and say rock and roll band, two greatest, what's the greatest rock and roll band? Some would argue Led Zeppelin, others would argue the Rolling Stones. Or that, you know. I think the, the Who would come in third. Strong contender. Maybe. You know what's an interesting one is what about North American rock and roll bands? Yeah. What's the number one North American rock and roll band? Yikes. That's a hard one. That's Think a about that. That's a super hard one. Can you even name a North American rock and roll band? Yeah, I mean, Nirvana. Nirvana is, um, you Pearl nailed Jam. it. I think Nirvana actually might be number one. Because what comes up, right, is like Aerosmith, um, Bachman Turner Over. Or actually, they're Canadian, I think. 
anyway, there's there's a bunch that you just kind of go, oh, it's you're not really proud to put them at the top, you know? You're right. like, oh, okay, I guess yeah. they're the best, you know. Another one might be Bad Company. Yeah. What about Bruce Springsteen? Oh yeah, Bruce Springsteen for sure. That's actually the one. That's yeah. probably the number one rock and roll band, yeah. North well, American rock and, and roll, and the E Street Band, of course. Right. <laughs> um, well, this all came about because we went to see uh, Bonham. Jason Bonham's Led Zeppelin experience. Right. The second time I've seen him. I saw him a couple, about a week ago. At the Belly Up? No, we went out to the Saquon Casino in El Cajon. To oh, see. okay. What a great venue. Oh, my really? God. So good. Just super small, really killer seats. Because mm-hmm. those those Indian casinos have so much money yeah. that, that anything other than gambling is a good move. If you go out there to play golf, the golf course is insane. Yeah. If you go to see music, the music is insane. The venue is like top notch. Like Because their whole thing is, hey... Let's get the bands here so we can get the people here so they can spend money on the casino, right? Totally. So they must pay the bands really well mm-hmm. to come out. Because they get a lot of big acts. Huge acts. When you're driving out tons to of Palm dough. Springs or whatever, you see those billboards and it's like kind of B-listers, maybe not A-A-listers, but B-listers playing every single week. You know? Yeah. And, and the, like I say, they're, the bands are stoked because the, the facilities are insane for yeah. the bands. They're like... They're in, you know, their green room is like a, just a gorgeous living room or something. You know, the point totally. is they have so much money to spend that it's a great venue. Sequence. But yeah, Jason Bonham's Led Zeppelin experience is so friggin' good. It's better than Led Zeppelin. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, Robert Allen Zimmerman is Dylan's That's right. Name. Yeah, Zimmerman. Yeah. yeah. Bob Dylan. So, okay. So talking about the rock and roll thing, what about occasionally or um, the rock and roll hall of fame adds new people every oh my year, God. every few years. And like, um, NWA, I think, was recently either inducted or nominated. And I had the same thought where I felt like, yeah, they're amazing and they deserve a place in the history books, but they're definitely not rock and roll. The Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, not why would they even be in it? You know? Yeah. They should be in the Hip Hop Hall of Fame or the General Music Hall of Fame, but rock and roll. I know. My son argues all the time. My son's like, Dad, they're so rock and roll. Like, because. And even the guy at NWA, what is it, Ice Cube? Or, yeah. Yeah. Ice Cube, I think, even said something along the lines, I'm sort of paraphrasing, but something along the lines of, if rock and roll is all about rebellion and all about, you know, youth kind of like coming out and exposing their angst, then NWA certainly is that. Sure. Right? But if that's your definition of rock and roll, then, you know, a tattoo artist could be in the rock and roll hall of fame. Exactly. Rock and roll. Where's the music? Like the music kind exactly. of comes in and... Rock and roll is a lifestyle, Scott. I'm not sure it's that not just a that's kind of what Ice Cube would say, yeah, right? Exactly. But but I I would argue, hey, can you play any chords on the guitar? Like, do you play instruments? Right. And I think that's kind of important. <laughs> yeah, and I don't have any skin in the game to be honest. I'm not like advocating for rock and roll, but I do think we should honor you know the the genre. Well, here's the problem, right? With the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, there's a list. There'll be a list. if you Google it. There's a list out right. there of bands that are not in the Rock mm-hmm. and Roll Hall of Fame, and it's. There's a couple of them that you roll your eyes. You're like, oh, my God. Oh, totally. The number one is Mo- the Moody Blues. Oh, okay. That the Moody Blues aren't in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame blows my mind. Right. And so it makes you wonder, God, there must be some politics there that we don't know about. Like, why wouldn't the Moody Blues? They're incredible. Sure. They were like acid, hippie, acid in 1966 before anyone was. Yeah. Well, Bob Dylan uh, was born May 24th, 1941. So that makes him 75 years what, old. What today. made you bring up Dylan? It's his birthday. Oh, it's his birthday. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Sorry for not. So listening. we're honoring him. Seventy-five. I literally was finishing the sentence saying that he's seventy-five years old today when you asked that question. 
<laughs> Scott's on highly medicated. Today. I am. I'm super medicated. So, um, all right. Well, I was wondering if the reason why you were down and out, uh, your health was down and out, is just because it's boardroom show aftermath, dude. You had this goal of the boardroom show, which we had last weekend. You hosted. And I've had that happen to me at Christmas time or other big events where it's like I'm putting so much energy into something, and then once it's over, your body just shuts down. You know, so is that, I think is that I think no, I, I don't think that's the case. Okay. I think I may have picked something up in the yoga in a yoga studio. Ooh, hot, humid environment. Yeah, germs are thriving. I think so. What were you doing, man? Yoga. Yeah, your <laughs> face on the floor to? or what? <laughs> yeah. So in many, many moments during that hour, my face was definitely on the floor. Somebody flung some sweat your way oh in yoga God. class? I'm just assuming that, that. I thought yoga was supposed to be good for you, not detrimental to your health. I think it is. I I have like razor blades in my throat right now. So I can hear I think him. it's strep throat. Yeah, I, I can hear him. Which Bomber, is, by the way, contagious. You're probably catching it right now. Sweet. Uh, have you been to the doctor? No. All right. Well, anyway, uh, the boardroom show, man, I would say was the most successful boardroom show that I've been to. You hosted it in a venue. Is it um, 50% larger than the venue we were in last year? Yeah. And it felt more than 50% more crowded even. So there's more floor space, but there was more people there. It was yeah. just both days, Saturday and Sunday, packed. Not only that, the vibe was so positive the whole time great energy i think jerry lopez has a lot to do with that energy um a lot of people are excited to see him firstly but secondly he's just his vibe is good the guy's got full guru status vibes absolutely so. yeah no you nailed it i think jerry's a big reason why the show is a success and it sort of speaks to you know who we honor each year is important from a marketing standpoint quite frankly to oh, of sort of let the you know, the genie out of the bag, so to speak. The other thing that I think was a big deal was the Surfer Magazine uh, seminar discussions. Yeah. Those things were really good. Yeah. Now, the audio in that building was lame. Right. I got to change that around somehow. But, uh, you know, we rolled the dice. We, we, we'd see how it went. And those things were really, were really well received. I didn't get to sit in for any of them. I went over just to, like, see the turnout and all that. And, it, um, yeah, there's plenty of people sitting around standing even i think the chairs were full of yeah. the one that i went to so there was a lot of people standing listening um so the seminars will happen probably okay. bigger and better um you know next time around that, yeah. i thought that was a big success awesome yeah how was the show as a whole for you a huge success i mean everybody the industry surfboard manufacturing industry was um was there in force and they, yeah. were, they were all pretty stuck i didn't you know i haven't heard anything bad no um, neither have i you know, and so it was. It was a rousing success. There's no doubt about it. Well, good job, man. I, I well, U.S. Blanks is a big part of that. I mean, without Jeff and Kim's involvement and your involvement, frankly, um, we wouldn't be the success. It's. I always say, look, I just open up the doors. People bring in the killer boards, and yeah. they bring in the killer energy, and they bring in the killer vibes. And um, you know, I could open the doors, and um, no one would show up, and then it's not a great show. You know, so. I put the success on the surfboard manufacturing industry, the great sponsors like U.S. Blanks. Um, and, and that's really, you know, my thing is more about operations and logistics, you know, and sure. really, quite frankly, anyone can do that. Although there is some marketing that needs to be done, but, but it's the beautiful boards that are brought in that just makes people go crazy, right? I mean, you go to a guitar show, you want to see beautiful guitars. You go to a surfboard show, you want to see beautiful surfboards. 
yada, yada, yada. You go to a wine thing, like you're into wine. Yeah. You want to taste really great wines and see the best wineries there. And that's, that's what we provide. So, well, I think you do a good job of facilitating and making sure that the right people are there and there, it's not bogged down with a bunch of novelty things or clothing companies or whatever. It is strictly, not strictly, but predominantly board builders and not only board builders, but the best in the industry. Um, and I, my parents came by and I was walking them around and trying to explain surfboard, you know, construction to them and found that when I had to break it down to its most simplistic level and explain the process, that it's an unbelievably labor intensive craft. And I know that, but when I had to explain it from the cursory level, it made me appreciate it more. And then they had questions about cut laps or just pretty basic stuff. And then when I explained that to them, I was just like, holy crap, you're right. This is an amazing art form, functional art form. You yeah. know? And then I explained to them, well, yeah. And then the way it works is you kind of partner with a shaper who you like and they see the way that you surf. So they build a board for you and then they watch you surf again and they make subtle adjustments and then maybe change a bottom contour, build a new board for you. And then you go and ride that and they watch that and then they change something else subtly and you go through this multi-year long process of going through quivers of surfboards to refine the way that you surf, the way that you ride waves and finding the right fit of a shaper is a difficult thing. And my mom was just like, whoa, that's yeah. intense. I had no idea. But what a beautiful, rad relationship that is to the art form that you don't have when you buy a painting or when you even when you shoot photography or anything like that like this is a symbiotic relationship that synergistic maybe i don't know yeah. i don't really like that word but um it's just it's rad you know and i i really developed a new appreciation or a deeper appreciation yeah this weekend or last weekend yeah you know it's the thing with surfboards is that there's no such thing as a perfect surfboard they're yeah. all great in their own ways you know you know, some, some boards need certain conditions, some boards, not, you know, so that's what's so neat about it, right? Is that you can never, you can appreciate all the different boards because they're on some level, they're going to be the right board for the right situation. Right. Well then, uh, did the, you have some favorites, favorite surfboards or yeah, show? or booths or yeah. Um, I, well, like I've been getting a lot of my boards from Roger Hines in the last couple of years and, um, a couple of things that he had I thought were really beautiful. Um, and then I like Gene Cooper's booth where he had like a basically a history of planers and tools. Yeah. Which was really kind of really interesting. Really cool. Yeah. Cool. We're going we're gonna to try to blow that one up um, next time into a bigger exhibit. Explain what it was for the listener or did you plan that out with him or was I that just his no, booth he, he design? He told me about it about two weeks before the show. He's like, hey, I'm going to have all – so he had – a series of Skill 100 planers dating back from the very first one, which was like a, a World War II. And, and, and what he also had was the marketing materials that were attached to each one of these planers. So he had marketing materials from 1941 on the Skill planer that explained that the Skill planer was the reason that we have the Skill 100 planer is for um, ships, you know, the World War II decking, you know, so that they could, so that they could you know, smooth stuff out. I guess. And and anyway, so he had this history, this legacy exhibit of all of the Skill 100 planers from the very first one to, you know, the last one. They've been they've been out of commission for maybe 15 years or something like that. But uh, and then other tools as well, right? And then he had like a guru guy that that was like a tool tool guru that knew everything about each planer and 
what the changes they made from year to year. And it was a pretty, it was something that needs to be excavated from an exhibit standpoint and curated a little finer and maybe, um, you know, more available to the public to get a grasp of it. I thought it was a phenomenal idea for booth design. It was, it was really, really cool. Um, were those all his planers? I think that most of them are. He's quite okay. the collector of planers. Yeah. I'm not sure if they're all his, but you know, easily 90% of them were. You know, the other booth or guy that j- makes beautiful surfboards, and you've talked about him, is Matt Parker at Album Surf. His, his aesthetics are always really spot on and beautiful. And so the booth design and layout is always great. But again, the boards themselves are incredible. And so... Listeners, the best way to kind of see that is just on his Instagram. I think it's Album Surf at Album Surf. Um, those boards, I've never ridden one. Do you have any of his boards? No, I've never. I've never. I've I've wanted to get them. There's so many boards there that I, I want to get. That's the problem. I I really like um, Matt's Matt's boards. I really do. And his boards are beautiful. And then there's an I, and again they're all pretty insane. Like the XTR booth. If you want real high performance technology, state of the art, cutting edge stuff. Javier's stuff from XTR is really incredible. Yeah. And then um, the other booth, uh, th- there's a guy named Nick who has a company called Rome Surfboards that mm-hmm. looked really nice, you know. And I follow him on Instagram. And then my friend um, Ryan Sakel from Arise, yeah. who is a great shaper and a great surfer and comes from a real history. You know, his family's got a real history in the surfboard industry. In Huntington, actually, where I'm from. But right. now Ryan lives in Encinitas, where you're from. Right. <laughs> so overlap there and a bunch of others i mean you know it'd be remiss not to mention everybody but we just don't have the time but uh, a bunch of good good boards well what do you do now man you, all year long leading up to this event and now it's over what do you do with your life you get sick other than yoga <laughs> no um, i'm trying to plan some other stuff yeah what about here i'll throw something at you pitch it dude guitars brews and guac i thought you were gonna say babes <laughs> um, I like it. Guitars, brews, and guac. I'm into all three things. Yeah, guitars, brews, and guac. Okay. A festival. It's hilarious, actually. I think it's kind of funny. <laughs> like, guac is a funny thing to, like, shoehorn into that. <laughs> San Diego's got a huge avocado um, industry. Yeah. Who doesn't like avocado? Everybody does. Love them. Wouldn't it be cool yeah. to, like, go to a, a brewery and guacamole festival and you have guitar you know guys playing music on the stage yeah that was the idea so you got killer music and you got killer beer and killer guacamole yep i'm in boom i'm in Done. <laughs> sounds like a party dude yeah it's i mean everyone can relate to that yeah. so i'm trying to see if i can create something like that okay i'm in we'll see tell me where to sign up buddy i will all right well um in regard to surfing we had you, I mean, do you want to start off with the news of the day, which is the WSL Holdings uh, acquiring Kelly Slater's Wave Pool? Show was already scheduled for today, but we woke up to the news of that this morning. So break it down. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. I'm a little bit ill here. I'll just read the first paragraph of this press release. It kind of breaks. It kind of summarizes it. WSL Holdings, right? the parent company of the World Surf League, today announced an agreement in principle to acquire a majority stake in the Kelly Slater Wave Company. The partnership between the WSL and the Kelly Slater Wave Company will be dedicated to promoting the growth of high-performance surfing around the world. 
Kelly Slater Wave Company's revolutionary technology creates a number of possibilities for the future of the sport. And the WSL and the Kelly Slater Wave Company envision the build-out of a global network of WSL-branded high-performance training centers utilizing this wave technology. And then the press release goes into a bunch of um, quotes from the stakeholders like Speaker and Slater and WSL people. I'm basically, you know, saying what we already know. It's a great thing. It's cool. Blah, blah, blah. So what are your thoughts on this? It makes a lot of sense. Um, You know, oftentimes with news topics for this show, they'll show up online and I'll read through the comment sections and those things generate ideas and opinions and thoughts in me. I haven't read anything about this at all. I saw it on Instagram, was getting out of bed to come down here. And so I haven't had a lot of time to read what other people's opinions are. So I strictly have my own fresh opinions. My thought was this makes perfect sense. It dovetails exactly with what we've talked about the WSL uh, doing or what we think that they're doing over the years, which is developing this really cool culture and platform that ultimately won't be profitable if they only cater it to us, the core surfers, because that's limited to coastlines with guys who are actually surfing in the ocean. Very small population, basically. So what they really need to do is do what the other clothing brands have done, which is cater it to, or at least appeal to, middle America and middle parts of whatever other countries where there are people where there's a lot larger numbers of people, but maybe they're not actually surfing. What this will allow them to do is turn all of those people into surfers. What your press release just said is that it's going to be a trading ground for you know, high-performance surfers. I think what it's ultimately going to do and what they're not saying is they're going to be able to make wave pools in Colorado and Idaho and all these places where they can now open up surfing to massive amounts of population uh, of the population and then sell them the television stuff and maybe clothing and these jerseys and, and then they'll partner with a surfboard manufacturer to sell these people surfboards and stuff. I think that's really what they're laying the groundwork for. And the Kelly Slater was probably laying the groundwork to do that with the wave pool. But to be honest, the WSL is the, is the entity that's best positioned to do that. It'd be like the NBA developing basketball courts across the country and then selling people entry fees to come play at those basketball courts. I think it's positions the WSL in a way that could make them grander than the NBA, grander than the NFL, you know? Well, I would agree with everything you said. My thoughts on this were that it wasn't surprising at all. Um, It was almost like we saw this kind of coming, you know, like it wasn't like, a big shocking headline when I saw it this morning. No, I was like, no, oh, no. yeah, it's about time, you know? So Kelly Slater and the WSL together, that's been an ongoing partnership for a while. Um, my other thought on this is this must be a pretty big payday for Kelly and, and for others. Like, how do you value this? I don't know. That's the big question for me. What's the number? Of course, they don't say. I went on to Bloomberg, who did a pretty good report on it, the best report, I think, on it. And uh, they didn't know either, but how do, how do you value something like this. There's no sales numbers to sort of put a 10 times multiple or seven times multiple on. There's no revenue mark that you can kind of go, okay, well, they made this much this year. We can assume that they're going to triple that growth. You know, there's, so there's not even a revenue model in place. Exactly. There's no revenue. So, so 
how do you how much do you think they bought it for him? Now know. it's a partnership thing, right? So my my gut feeling here is that they bought a it says they bought a majority stake. So let's say they bought fifty one percent. I thought it said they agreed to enter into a majority. Yeah, they're stake. They're so laying. They haven't, da- they're, they haven't signed the paperwork yet. This yeah. is more like we're about to go to our lawyers are about to meet and comb through all this sure. crap. But it's going to happen, right? So a majority stake to me says fifty one percent minimum, right? It might be more than that, but for sure fifty one percent is the WSLs now. So let's just say you buy fifty percent of of this thing. What is this value? What is fifty percent of this? Is it five hundred million dollars? I'm not sure. I mean. If their whole thing is to provide high-performance surfing around the world, that speaks to what you and I have talked about before, which is the first country that's going to buy one of these is going to be Australia, and it's going to go into their Hurley Performance Center. And so what is the WSL selling to this country, the nation state of Australia? They're selling the technology and the guy that goes and builds it for them? Like, right. So anyway, it's just fascinating to try to figure out the number. It is. That's on this. How much did Kelly Slater just sign? <laughs> and Well, how much did he invest into it in the first place? Well, 575000 been- bucks for the 20 acres in Lamar. They paid five hundred and seventy-five grand for that, okay. for those 20 acres. Now, the Bloomberg article said that a lot of the cost is Kelly's. Right. Now, I don't know what that means, how much of that, you know. But we do know he's been developing the tech for 10 years. Right. So, so how do you value, of equity, how do you value sweat your equity, years right. of sweat equity? Then the land cost, then the manu- the um, manufacturing of the thing once you have and the the, uh, the other guy, there's probably like five guys in Kelly Slater Wave Company that are big players, right? Like Terry Hardy. It's interesting, right? Because Ziff and his wife are also involved in the Kelly Slater Wave. Like it's, <laughs> it's so, <clears throat> excuse me, it's so incestuous. It's hard to figure out how this deal is going to go down. But it's got to be a lot of money. I think it's, I think it's got to be five hundred million dollars. I think in twenty years you're going to go five hundred million dollars. They got a deal. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah, like it seems like a lot now, but in twenty years, I mean, I, I, how much does it cost to build one of these things to make one of these things? Like, I mean, I I don't know. I mean, that half a billion dollars. It sounds that's a lot. You can justify that. Maybe it's and that sounds mil. it sounds fair, but at the same time. It sounds outrageous, and I think that this era of spending tons of money, especially in the tech sector, for things that aren't proven, you know, like Instagram. This is proven? Not, no, the revenue model's not proven, right, and other wave pools have right. been, actually have uh, been sued out of commission, you know what I mean? Like, been sued out of profitability, and this could very well, that could very well happen to this thing as well. So I think that era where in the tech sector, people paid billions of dollars for things that don't have revenue models might be a thing, a a temporary blip in our history that won't go on forever. You know, I remember Instagram, I think it sold for $2 billion, 18 months into it, like after it had only been around for 18 months, Facebook bought it for $2 billion. It had eight staff members and it's just like... How do you define that as equitable? And I don't know that they have yet. I don't know that they'll see a return on that $2 billion or they certainly haven't. Or I don't, I, you know, it's just like a hundred. Let's say it's a hundred million dollars. Is that too much? I, I don't know, dude. And what did they buy? Like, did they buy the technology? The rights to the, the tech and the, and developing it? I, I don't know. Yeah. It's just kind of random. It's like scary. it's hard to figure out. 
It's hard yeah. to figure out how they do a deal like this. It really is. But I do think, so money aside, yeah, I do think it's a good idea. I think the WSL is a perfect fit to launch this thing around the world. They're the people who are best positioned to do it. Honestly, I thought Kelly Slater was the right guy to do it, and I'm glad that he brought it to fruition. But to take it to the next level, the WSL is kind of the right people to do it, I think. Yeah, no, there's no doubt about it. And and the thing about Ziff, right, is that he does have the kind of money that he can he can kind of roll the dice and be like, oh well, you know what? We tried, we failed, you know. Like it's you know, I don't know how much they paid for it, but I mean if you're ever gonna roll the dice on something and you are in and it makes sense for your other businesses, WSL Holdings yeah. is the parent company. Right. Of which there's the WSL and the Kelly Slater Wave Pool. <laughs> right. Big wave world tour. Yeah. But anyway, there's so many other places we can go with the story. Like what does, when's the net, when's the first WCT event in Lemoore? Right. Um, yeah. And I don't know, to be honest, that doesn't excite me very much. I don't need to see a a world tour event there, but there could be some sort of an event there. Yeah. Who knows? And Kelly talked about the formatting of the, of an event there because there are just unlimited waves. Yeah. He was thinking one round is, High performance surfing. Another round is just tube riding. Right. Another round is I don't know. You know, whatever it is. Well, something that came out since our last show in regard to this wave pool is just that Kelly invited some friends to surf it, and Josh Kerr was there. Um, Steph Gilmore, Kanoa Igarashi, um, Nat Young, Carissa Moore. And to be honest, the wave looks better than it's ever looked. We've only seen footage of the wave from a couple of different sessions and this now we've seen it more than ever because previously i think we saw one or two sessions and now we get to see these sessions it looks better than ever steph gilmore got this 33 second barrel that was so insane and maybe 15 seconds of it was kind of a pocket ride but then she gets behind the curtain and it was so rad it just Ah. And they changed the bottom, right? So that is that the, what happened? I think that's why the coloring of the wave is different. I think they might have had a black bottom. Oh, is that what it was? And I'm just assuming. Because previously the water looked chocolatey. Right. Now it looks green. Right. It looks yeah. scary green, like like Fukushima green. <laughs> right. And it's but but I think that's what they did is that they tweaked on the bottom the the, the layering, whatever that thing is, that, that covering that covers the bottom of the okay. pool is now a different color. Yeah. Interesting. When you're hiring for a small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role, and there's no faster or effective way than through LinkedIn Jobs. Your time and capital are precious, and there is a powerful resource that can help you focus on what you're good at and integrate people into your team seamlessly to help grow your business. LinkedIn Jobs has created the tools to find the right professionals for your team efficiently and for free. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. Everyone is already on LinkedIn with their resumes and references, and now LinkedIn has designed a hiring platform to connect you with candidates specifically qualified for the job that you post about. More than a billion professionals meticulously organized to connect people by skill set to help us all advance our position. 2.5 million businesses already use LinkedIn for hiring, and 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. It's that fast, easy to use, and effective. LinkedIn Jobs can help you write job descriptions, filter the right person to you, and give you the tools to help you interview them like a pro. 
linkedinjobs.com slash surf is where you go to post your job for free. Yes, totally free. That's linkedinjobs.com slash surf to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Did you see Steph's 33 seconds? I did, and, and you haven't seen this, but in the press release they talk about it. So Kieran Perot signed off on it, right? It's kind of funny because part of the press release is like, well, the next step is to have the commissioner sign off on it. And I just thought to myself, well, <laughs> there's no way the commissioner's going to ride that wave and go, no, it's not good enough for our servers. Yeah. <laughs> but um, so so Kelly had P- Kieran Perot. I don't – does Paul Speaker even surf? I think he might have. I have no idea. He had – then it, there was some um, water ski guy that lives next door that was allowed to come ride it. He's a total kook. He's never, he's not a surfer. And he caught the first wave and rode it the whole way. Wow. And, um, some of his other, some of, there was some other mention of some other guys. I'm sure Terry Hardy got to surf it. Um, they brought in another crew basically of suits and ties, basically a mix of everything. Kieran Perot, the, the random next door neighbor guy, uh, probably like Kelly's girl, you know, fiance or whatever she is. And all of that, um, you know, I don't know what are the next steps for this thing. Well, the wave is definitely in terms of the WSL doing an event there. The wave is definitely better than Rio is. Oh yeah, <laughs> is this a segue to Rio? I think it should be. Yeah, the Oi Rio Pro. Yeah. Um. Well, before I get into the event itself, let's just talk about Rio as a danger zone. Prior to the event starting, Carissa Moore and Connor Coffin witnessed a shooting right behind the contest venue, the original contest venue, which ended up getting wiped out by Big Surf, and they had to relocate. But Carissa and Connor were walking back to the contest or leaving the contest zone after surfing, and they heard gunshots ring out at a nearby gas station. They look over. They see a guy fleeing on a motorcycle. They see a guy shot and bleeding, and... They said it was one of the heaviest experiences of their life. This is just run-of-the-mill activity in Rio. <laughs> Turns out to not be that unusual. Um, How often does that happen in Lemoore? Not often. <laughs> She's so, a shotgun. So there was a previous story I remember reading in Transworld Magazine about Shane Dorian being held up at gunpoint after he won an event there. He won the contest, and then he was walking. I don't know if it was the same day, but he was walking – away from the beach holding a surfboard and he feels something against the back of his head and it's a guy with a holding a gun to the back of Shane's head going get on your knees and let go of your surfboards Shane drops to his knees lets the surfboards go the guy takes the boards and says count to 100 and if you turn around and look for me in that time I will shoot you and the guy just stole Shano's boards and left. Shane counted to 100, thanked his lucky stars, walked away from the thing. Wow, that's I've never heard that. Yeah, I read it in Transworld. I think somebody referenced it um, or just said that Shane got held up at gunpoint, but I do remember reading that story when it happened. Hmm. Michelle Berez, if you remember, got kidnapped last year. What? Yes. Why didn't we hear about this? this we be- did. I think we might have talked about Michelle it. Michelle Berez got kidnapped? Last year, Michelle Berez was, this. was out in the evening was walking back to his restaurant or to his hotel after having dinner. A black van pulled up, swung the door open, threw him inside, 
and was racing through the streets of Rio. He had no idea why he was kidnapped, but they stopped at a red light at some point. He was able to wrestle his way out of the van and run to safety. What? This was last year. This is incredible. Yeah. So I don't remember this. Crazy danger zone where stuff like this happens. Um, Does that happen in Lamar? No. <laughs> the water quality is obviously abhorrent. Um, jet skis flip over carrying competitors. That happened multiple times. This event, it happened to Adam Melling being carried out to catch waves, got the jet ski flipped over, happened to Kyle Abelli. Why? Because the guys don't know how to drive the skis? That, well, it's a beach break, first of all, so there's no channels. But right. yes, the guys, I think it's just difficult to drive the skis in those conditions. The waves are head high, thumping beach break. Yeah. It's going to happen, even if yeah. you're an accomplished jet ski driver. Yeah. So Rio is a danger zone. What's going to happen during the Olympics this year? You know what I mean? Like, is somebody going to get killed? Um, People are going to get kidnapped. I don't know. <laughs> it's gnarly. <laughs> well, I don't know. I mean, it'll be fun to... I mean, not fun, but it'll be interesting to see yeah. how it plays out. It's super scary. It's super gnarly. I don't think that there's any governing body that can protect all of the hordes of people that are going to come to watch the Olympics there. There's not the infrastructure in place, nor the security in place. And by the way, it seems to be pretty corrupt. You know, So I'm scared to see what will happen when the Olympics come if when this little surf event comes, this is the kind of chaos that takes place. If anything, it, it makes the Brazil event more exciting, and from a from yeah. purely from a fan's perspective. Well, look at all the people who didn't come to the event: Kelly, Taj, Parco, Fanning, of course. Um, and then where was half the commentary team? Ronnie Blakey, Ross Williams, all those guys weren't there. There was a fill in. The fill-in guys did a pretty good job. Like, Kaipo Guerrero is always great. We see him at the Triple Crown events, and I think he's he does a great job. Travis Logie was filling in as deputy commissioner um, for Kieran Perot. Travis Logie's been the commissioner on the WQS mm -hmm. this year. They bumped him up into Kieran's position. I don't know why Kieran wasn't there. Maybe he was, he was on surfing. Wave, wave pool duties. Yeah, he was. He was at the wave pool <laughs> um, in Lemoore. Strider got bumped up into more of a leader position on the desk. Um. So, and then there was how did Strider do? Uh, he didn't do great, as far as I'm concerned. Like, you need a you need to be a strong leader in that position on the desk, and yeah. he still flubs sentences like I do, yeah. you know, and has a difficult time formulating his thoughts into cohesive sentences, like I do. Right. So I don't think that Slater really took you'll get the more, bull by the horns. You'll get more in Lamore. I'm thinking of some, okay. some great branding slogans. <laughs> who's who's this guy Giggs that we saw on the desk? Do you know South African guy? Yeah. Who Never, is he? Don't know. Where does he come from? I have no clue. Okay, neither did I. And I didn't I didn't research it. I'm sure the information's out there. But it's like he wasn't that great as far as I was concerned. Um he was in the booth with Pete oftentimes. And one thing I did notice is that he's He's intelligent, like the way sure. that he does string together sentences and words and phrases. Like you can tell, he's well educated. Yes, because I, there was never any of the, you know, sort of the flub ups that you or I or Strider or some others might make when yeah. they're trying to get what's up in the brain out through the lips. I agree with that. Um, his energy level is low. Not a ton of insight. He's just there to kind of deliver the blow by blow, I suppose. But it wasn't that exciting and. I think that it's a learning curve. There is a learning curve involved, and if he's given more time, he'll sort a lot of those things out. 
But it was so a different event, man. John I mean, John won it. John John was ripping, dude. He was. Yeah. John John ended up in the final with Jack Freestone. Who was surfing well. Who turned out was on my fantasy. I know. Team. You did really well, I noticed. Dude, I won the you, fantasy. I won the clubhouse. I know. You had 1,000-something points, right? 1,043. Yeah. Which I, I saw that. Not only did I win the wager pool, uh, like of the 30 people who wagered, I won that. 30? I think You so. won 300 bucks? Yeah, I think. Good for you. No, maybe it was... Tw- Whatever. I think it was 21 in the men, maybe nine in the women's. Did you win the women's? No. I've been blowing it in the women's side. But not only did I win the wager, I think I won the overall for all of the men's division. Did Um, really? Yeah. I know. I I was looking. Points out of anybody in Rio. Wow. So you get the prize pack? Do you win the prize pack from from ProLight or whatever? No, no, no. Just in our clubhouse, I mean. Oh. Not not in the whole. Yeah, no. But but still, you were pretty high up. Like, yeah. Like the most was like 1,096, I think, or something. Yeah. I don't know. We'd have to look. But I remember seeing it and going, holy mackerel. Well, it was a low-scoring event because there was a lot of the key guys were out. And then um, a lot of the key guys didn't do well. And then the guys, there were a couple guys who did well that were like 1.5 million bucks or 3 million bucks like Jack Freestone. So what you want to do if you want to make big changes in the fantasy surfer world if you, everybody has Felipe on their team, everybody has Gabriel. So if Gabriel wins, it, nothing changes in the clubhouse rankings. If he loses, nothing changes because we all lose. So what you want is these guys that are the outliers. wild horses, the outliers. And yeah. so I happened to identify Jack Freestone as an outlier, had him on my team, and then he did well, and it bumped me up a lot. What about Matt Banning? How's he doing on your team? <laughs> I didn't have him on my team. What about the Costa Rican kid? He's not on the oh, on the world tour. Yeah, you, okay. way, to, way to try to shame me, buddy. Let's <laughs> no, just focus on what I did well, which was Jack Freestone. Congratulations. You did really so, well. So, by the way, Jack Freestone, let's talk about his surfing for a second. He surprised me. Really, He looked good. Really solid fundamentals, dude. The guy yeah. drives hard off the bottom and goes hard off the top. He gets two turns in. He doesn't need to get three. He doesn't need to get four because two turns will earn you an eight at a dumpy beach break. And he was doing that. He was slamming it. It looked like his surfing, you know, sort of spoke to that dumpy beach break. Like, yeah, I've seen him, for instance, at Snapper, and he didn't look all that great. Like, he looks a little out of sync or his style just isn't right. Yeah. There's too much time for him to think almost. Whereas this was like bang, bang, bang. And... That sort of bang, bang, bang quickness of the beach break really sort of you know, made sense for his surfing. It does. And that's why I put him on the team. I think he'll only do good at two events this year. This was one of them. And then lowers will be the other one. Hmm. I don't see him. Or maybe, you know, the beach breaks in France. Europe, I suppose, could, you know, you could argue that if he did well at Rio, he'll do well there. But I think that there's other guys who will do better there. Uh, I think he will do good at lowers. I'm not putting him on my team for the South Pacific at all or Hawaii. But I will say his surfing reminds me a lot of Julian Wilson's. It's Mm -hmm. radical. The fundamentals are super strong. His style is beautiful. But what he has over Julian is that it's fresh for us. We expect Julian to do what we know that he could do. Jack Freestone came out and did the same thing that Julian does, but we hadn't seen it before because he's been injured for four out of the five events, I think. Um, So knowing that he was coming back into this, knowing that the venue is what it was, I thought Jack Freestone's a safe bet for the three million bucks. And I'm thrilled to say that he delivered. What I want to talk about Julian or um, John John Florence though, is his wizardry will always be in tube riding. 
And he he's proven it to us countless times before at Pipeline, but he's proven it to us a few times in France and now in Rio, or actually twice in Rio because he's won twice there. His rubbery recoveries and amazing airs are always great, but to be honest, they're rivaled by Felipe and Gabriel. We will see Felipe do gnarly airs, and it's hard to pick a point of difference with John John's airs versus Felipe, and you can make an argument like maybe Felipe's landing percentage is better, and then John John's improvisation yeah, is better right. and you can kind of try to define these things but there's a lot it's all in the nuance whereas mm. john john's barrel riding is unrivaled to be honest it's unrivaled by kelly slater or anybody else so he goes out into those conditions and always gets the best ones finds barrels where nobody else is finding barrels on a day where there's only one or two makeable waves he'll be in the heat that finds those waves and he'll be the guy to find them. And in the free surf session in the morning, he will be the one who threads the gnarliest one. So that's where, where, you know, I use the word wizardry because he's the freaking wizard. There's nobody else that wills it into fruition. We've, we've seen Kelly do it at, throughout his career at different venues, but for barrels, John, John's the guy, you know? All right. And, um, what were the odds that, that there wouldn't be a Brazilian in the final before, not good. before the first heat. Yeah, not good. I mean, you, you had to think there was going to be a Brazilian in the final. That was the most surprising thing about this event, right? I agree, for sure. And Gabriel, to be honest, looked unbeatable. Like, in every heat, he looked like the guy to beat. And Jack Freestone beat him. And and Gabriel did that incredible backflip thing that, that like, wow. made it, it made it into national news, yeah. international news, yeah. that he did this backflip. What was it called? Yeah, a back I think it's just a backflip. Yeah. He did. Uh, it was on a left, so front side for him. Pumped down the line, air backflip, kind of like we've seen Tim Curran do and Flynn Novak. And actually, Gabriel's done one or two of them. I've seen one at Rocky Point a couple of years ago that he did, but he did it in a heat. It's the first it time clean. we've seen it done. It was in a pretty heat. damn clean. Very clean. Um, and and what's interesting about that is that it didn't that w- that it didn't lead our discussion this morning. That right. That it's it's just kind of like another air. I mean, yeah, it's rad, but we're we're sort of we're a little bit dumbed down to it almost. Right. You know what I mean? Like, well, why is that? Because everybody's busting radical airs, and and I just think that I don't know. It's just we're a little, you know. It, I I think personally, I think it's a psychological issue. I think that we have a hard time even understanding what it is to like when. That's probably uh, true. Julian Wilson did the sushi roll back in his film. I forget even what the name of that film was. Big Quicksilver budget thing. Yeah. Young uh, Guns or something? No, it wasn't Young Guns. Uh. That was a thing, but that wasn't his thing. And then Julie or um, Jordy Smith did a backflip in Indonesia that is still regarded as, no, as a backside kind of flip. Wasn't it a Superman? Rodeo flip. Oh, yeah. Rodeo flip. I think uh. it was a rodeo flip. He's done a bunch of Supermans too. But the point is those were game-changing airs that they've never actually bettered five and ten years ago. Well, I would argue that this was a a historic moment. It is. And that it hasn't received the sort of... I mean, it got some play, obviously, but it just didn't... Maybe just... It's like a news cycle thing. You know, it was a big first, like, three or four days, and, like, there's new news coming through the pipeline, and so it just didn't hang on for very long. That's true, but to my point, I think, like, our brain doesn't really have a frame of reference to really understand and appreciate how gnarly those I would things agree are. That. I would agree when the with ju- that. When the sushi roll came around and when the rodeo flip, 
we like it and we know that it's rad. But again, the degrees of nuance and difference between that and an air reverse, we can't comprehend. And so we almost can't appreciate it to the level that it deserves to be appreciated. Yeah. It's it's too gnarly. Because when Gabriel later did his crazy backside air spin, that also did you see that one? He, Maybe. He got a right, I don't know which round it was in, did a backside 360 air, landed it cleanly, went right into the bottom, and then right into a huge end section smash, which he also got 10 points for. So Can we talk about his claim too, by the way? Yeah, I know. He's got that claim like, I don't know. Like he, He's got this new I don't know claim where he yeah. like just kind of shrugs his shoulders and goes... Right. Like that. Hands you know? out to Hands the side. Out. Yeah. I don't know. Like he's like, he can't believe it either, right. but it's almost kind of insincere. Yeah. Well, <laughs> see the claim gets more discussion. Than- it does. So on that backflip, he got a 10. And then on this backside spin, he got a 10. I think the backflip's way gnarlier. I mean, really to me, I thought they were both 10 point rides and they were both gnarly. The backside spin is actually easier to appreciate because we have some frame of reference for it. And it's a, couple degrees gnarlier than other backside spins that we've seen. But the truth of the matter is that front flip is a gnarlier move by a lot of degrees, but we don't have a scale for it and we don't have a frame of reference. It's just they're both unbelievably gnarly. What about this? The, the idea that when you think about skateboarding and guys that skate on ramps and in bowls and pools and stuff, guys that do that, most of them can do aerials. Like, yeah. you know, like if you're skating in a pool, you know, I would I would argue that eight out of ten guys that are skating in a pool can do an air. Yeah. So they understand the nuance, and so when you go to like a pro skate event, totally, and you see guys on the half pipe and they're like at the X Games and they're doing radical shit and they're pushing the limits and people are raising their hands going, "Oh my god, that was insane!" I think it's because more of the enthusiast base, the hardcore skater, gets it because they Agreed. can do that. And to your point, not, not a whole lot of us do aerials when we go surfing. Like no. very, very little, very few relative to the number of surfers in the water. Yeah. And maybe that's part of it, right? It is. And that speaks to what I brought, I mean, maybe a year ago, we were talking about the beauty of Rob Machado and the reason why he's everybody, one of, he's everybody's favorite surfer, one of their favorite surfers. And Tom Kern, the same thing, is he's, surfing a style in a style that you and I can relate to. He's doing well, he's, they're dancing. And he, but he's going down the line doing turns. And it's like, "Oh, that's what I do." He's doing it to a way better degree than right, I'm doing right, it. Right, right, right. But yeah. I can relate to it. I can aspire to that. I can do that. When I see Gabriel do a backflip, there's no I can't even aspire to that. That's not even in my realm of a, on my best day if I was a achieving my full potential i would never even think to do that so this is much more relatable and for gabriel getting to that moment where he's in the air um might not be as pretty as say rob or craig anderson or tom kern so he he takes off on the wave he's like here we go and i won't say he's wanking but he's solely focused on boosting this thing. Yeah. And so that means maybe not going down to the bottom and scoring off a bottom turn, but kind of doing a couple of fin check turns high in the wave phase to get the speed going to then banking. So all of his energy is focused on this one thing out outside yeah. of the wave phase, which is certainly outside of uh, you know the average surfer's realm of possibility. Yeah. Let me ask you, though, as a surfer, when you watch John John's highlights through the event, which are barrels and then a turn when he comes out, Versus Gabriel's highlights, which make ESPN for doing a backflip. As a surfer, what would you prefer to do? 
If you went out to Rio and you could recreate one of those two things, what would they be? What would it be? Well, I, I think that it's pretty damn exciting to be doing aerials the way that Gabe's doing aerials. Like if I could do that, if I was at that point where I was like, I'm going to go out and try some new aerials today, I would be all about that. See, I'd pick John John. Well, you're, I'm assuming that I can already do the John John stuff because now I'm doing aerials. No. Yeah, but I'm just saying, like, as a surfer, what do you more identify with? John John dropping into these bottomed out under sea level well, yeah, and could, then getting blown yeah, out. Yeah, I mean, to, if that's getting tubed is the, is the ultimate. Right, then, it really then, is. Then it is what it is. Which right? is why he won the event. You know, yeah. it's like Gabriel's doing something that's radical and it makes the highlight thing, but I don't really want to do that. I don't aspire to it and I know I can't, but John John's, it's just... It's so right. it's more so aspirational. Awesome. It to really you. is. And like those waves that he was getting, it's like <laughs> those things were under sea level, like sucking out. They were so rad looking and then so much spit. I really love John John. <laughs> Again, I think everybody had him on their team going into Rio, so that didn't really shift any um, well, the rankings. World, the world title race has certainly been shaken up a little bit. Well, Matt Wilco is another story. I I was predicting he was going to drop the ball. There's no way he can go four for four or whatever. And, dude, round two loss to a wild card. Remember what we said midway through the Australian leg? Yeah. Chloe and Dino and Matt Wilkinson need to back up what they did at Snapper. Well, Wilco did. Chloe, I think I had him on my team. How far along did Chloe get? Round two. Chloe sort of like took that one great result and just went, okay, I'm good for the rest of the season and didn't like – take advantage of it Mm -hmm. you know now look we're only halfway through the season if that yeah there's a lot you know to be said but you would think that Kolohe would do well in Rio yeah and frankly at Margaret River yeah well um Tyler Wright won the women's what's that look (laughs) you don't care at all no I'm just I mean no I care I I like seeing good surfing yeah but I mean, if we're, you know, this kind of comes down to the whole, like, do we, you know, <laughs> <laughs> the whole what? I oh. thought Tyler Wright was ripping. Look, I, uh, Tyler Wright shreds. She's a better surfer than I am. There's no doubt about it. Yeah. Yeah. You're so, afraid to say what you really want to say. No, no, no. Tyler Wright winning in Rio. No, but I mean, look, it's like the women's NBA. Are you following it? Heck Why not? No. Do you like the NBA? I do. Why don't you follow the WNBA? Because I like seeing people score. Well, you baskets. like seeing the best of the best. Exactly. Now, is that sexist to say that? No. You want to see the best of the best? Yeah. Why not mix the girls and the and the and the boys? Like, let's just have them all surf together. Because the girls will get smashed based on the judging criteria. All right. <laughs> <laughs> well, I thought Tyler Wright was ripping. One thing that. We need to pay homage to or just acknowledge is that Glenn Hall is her coach. And Glenn Hall's having the best year of his life between Wilco winning on the men's side, which is one of his students, and then Tyler smashing on the women's side. Does Tyler write just to beat up Glenn Hall? <laughs> just spit <laughs> him could. out like a used watermelon she seed. She could. Um, well, we're going into Fiji. Do you have any picks that you want to comment on for Fiji? And by the way, the women's event starts, I think, five or six days earlier than the men's event. So they will have the pick of the best swell and conditions days for those. Here's the deal with Fiji. Let's look back at Sunday, right? This Sunday. This Sunday. Last Sunday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Massive swell in Fiji. Surfline did a, like, up-to-the-minute thing. 
and it was it was semi fascinating, but made me realize that what the WSL or Red Bull or some other competitor or the ideally the WSL, but whoever it is, they need to create a surgical strike tour. Oh yeah, they take Rabbit Bartholomew's Dream Tour concept to the next level, right? And just real quick, the history of the Dream Tour as the marketing director at Billabong. Rabbit created the Billabong Challenge Series where he'd bring really great Billabong surfers to somewhere. And they'd sit on that spot and wait for the waves to get good, and then they'd hold an event. It was like 10, 10 guys max. So then he took that concept with him when he became president of the ASP, and that's what became known as the Dream Tour. So now I'm saying what we need is a twist, right? Instead of going to surf spots during the prime season and camping out for two weeks in hopes of a swell, what this new surgical strike tour will do is wait for a swell and then go. So instead of going and wait, we wait and then we go. And we saw this on Sunday, as I mentioned, uh, at Fiji. There were plenty of hard-charging surfers, right, that took on cloud break, meaty waves, up to 15, maybe bigger, 15 to 18-foot faces, thundering, thundering, massive, huge swell. There was no jerseys. There was no judges. But I was compelled to go onto Surfline and watch this thing and determine who was the winner in my mind. And as we all know, Damien Hobgood, if this was, in fact, a surgical strike tour event, Damien Hobgood would have won the event. He got the one wave. It was a closeout. I mean, he did, it wasn't a closeout, but he didn't make the end section. He made a lot of the wave. Oh, God. Multiple it, barrels. And multiple barrels. Out. And then the last one was so mind-boggling, deep and thick. And it was just it was awesome. Yeah. Right? So point is is that there's definitely a market for this like oh, guys yeah. like you and i will tune would tune into a live broadcast of the surgical strike tour um no judges no jerseys all you really need is three ingredients perfect waves great surfers and a broadcast feed yep. that's where the wsl comes in and or some other entity right and now there's going to be an obvious winner just like everyone knows Dam- you don't even need judges like right. damien won right but if in the case where it's not obvious, then judging occurs via the community ballot with videos of each wave on the website later on. So live, when it's happening live, you and I get to vote on who's who's winning. Right. We all win in this scenario. And it's a winner-take-all purse. I like it. And the amount of the prize purse is determined by the number of people who pay the $1 or $2 to watch the feed all day. Perfect. So you and I throw 2 bucks down. And if we get a hundred thousand people to do that, the prize purse is two hundred grand. Yeah. So Damien Hobgood would have walked away with two hundred grand for his, and he deserved it because yeah. that was gnarly. Um, I think this is something that needs to be explored. Right? It's we're pretty limited to the spots where this could happen. You can't do this at Snapper. You yeah. can't do this at Kira. You can't do this at places that already have a population of surfers that aren't necessarily going to be stoked when fifteen surfers and a, and a broadcast feed show up and just make it. Hellacious, but there there are some spots where this can happen, and I think Cloudbreak is obviously one of them, especially when it's that big because right. there are only so many takers, right? Yep. And the cool thing is, David, if you're that guy, you can paddle out. If you're there and that's your week at Tavi, you can paddle out and go get them. Yeah. You know, you can go win the two hundred grand. If, That'd be amazing. Or die. Yeah. Right. So some of the places I think we could do this are Cloudbreak, um, Skeleton Bay. Yeah. Right, that's another surgical strike zone where guys just wait for that swell and then they all show up and they hit it. Yeah, that would be a cool spot to do it. Um, there's probably some spots up in British Columbia, up in the west coast of Canada. Yeah, that that you could do something like this for sure. Nova Scotia, um, Shipsterns Bluff, yeah. maybe it might be too 
there's already a crew of guys that are on that every swell anyway. But I'm I'm saying good, let those guys be a part of it. They should win. Yeah, you know this isn't all that different than the um, XXL awards, kind of. Yeah, it doesn't have to be massive though. Like it can no, be a, a perfect. But spot. they apply that same format where it's like you could be the random dude like Aaron Gold was at Piahi and Payahi and uh, paddles paddle. It's a guy that we've never heard of before. Paddles into and gets the biggest wave ever ridden because he's yeah. on it. The Surgical Strike Tour. Yeah, are I like you a it. fan? I'm a huge fan. There's islands up in the northern chain of Fiji where you could do this. Yeah. And the best one of all, I think, is the Cortez Bank, which mm. surprisingly got no play, no discussion at all during this El Nino 2016 year. Where was the Cortez Bank? Well, were guys surfing it? Have you, did you see any? No, that's my point. Yeah, yeah. Like, why not? Right. So anyway, um, the Surgical Strike Tour, I think it's something that, that people would pay to, to do. Like, like I say... I, I saw that swell arriving at Fiji. Everyone saw it that looks at surf that looks at maps. Yep, it was going to be massive. There's actually another one coming right now. Yep, for and, the women's event. And um, I think it's something that would be pretty cool. And I don't think there would be a lot of of cost involved from a, a logistics standpoint. Like sure. I said, you don't pay for the surfers to show up. They just show up if they want to be there. All you do is show up and start filming it and yep. do a broadcast feed. And you, you know, you might need one or two guys. To talk it through, you know? Yeah. Um, well, I saw Damien Hobgood there at the boardroom show. Yeah. So CJ was there. was there. Was it CJ? No, I saw Damo. Oh. Well, maybe CJ was there too. But I saw Damo coincidentally with Aaron Gold, who I just mentioned. And they both went to Fiji together. And Aaron was in the news yesterday for um, having a horrendous wipeout near-death experience where – he got held underwater. They found him floating on the inside, face down. And thankfully, the rescue team on the jet ski swooped in, pulled him out of the water, or yeah, pulled him out of the water, took him over to the channel, revived him back to life, and then took him back to the island where he was able to get the proper medical attention and has made a recovery and looks to make a full recovery. But by the way, heavy the, situation. I would urge you guys to go to Surfline and see their full page. Yeah. Full screen uh, feature article, photos, videos on on the Tavarua, yeah. the cloud break event that happened Sunday and yesterday, Monday. Mm. It's pretty well written. Is it? Yeah. I enjoyed it. Do you know who wrote it? Or who um, wrote it? it was a name I hadn't seen before, like mm. Andrew or Anthony something. But okay. I'll look it up. It's pretty good. Yeah. Crazy. So that's a great lead into the event itself that's coming. And yes. hopefully the event gets proper swell and can hold up. To the height. So this is an event where, first of all, do you put Kelly Slater on your team? Absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. absolutely right? So a roll of the dice might be to not put him on your team because everybody else is going to have him on your team. Okay. That's a roll of the dice. You're like, no, Bass, True. I'm not buying into that. Um, and then, of course, like most South Pacific events, um, well, Fiji and Cloudbreak, I guess, or uh, Fiji and uh, Chopu, you've got to have uh, guys with – with no rookies. Don't put any rookies on your team. Mm. No Connor Coffin. Well, you would have said that last year, and Idolo Ferrer beat Slater there. So, right. And he was the rookie. Right. So you never do now. All right. Well, foot and mouth syndrome. <laughs> Alex Ribeiro is going to win the event. Oh, my God. <laughs> uh, by the way, Andrew Lewis is the guy's name that wrote the Surfing yeah. article. Um, cool. Well, listeners, 
if you want to play in the fantasy clubhouse, and is this you want Kai Otten's last event? <laughs> like, where's Kai Otten? Actually, he didn't show you, up in Rio either. This is where you put Kai Otten on your team. The I would one, agree. The one event you put Kai Otten. Especially if it's going to be massive. Yeah. So listeners, though, if you want to wager for Rio, get your bets in. Uh, while we were sitting here, I got a payment from the guy who won the women's event in Rio, Mark BCH. But um, that, again, the women's event starts a few days earlier. So if you want to play the women's, get your payment in ASAP. And then if you want to play the men's, I think you have 10 days or something until that event kicks off. But surfsplendorpodcast.com and then there's a fantasy surfer tab that explains how to join the clubhouse and then how to send payment in. Um, There's a number of things, uh, videos that relate to things that you were just talking about. You talked about Skeleton Bay. Did you see Alex Smith's uh, 60-second drainer that he got there? He, it was a GoPro video. Yeah, it's insane. He, he gets backside An- barrels. Anthony Walsh? No, no, no. This one was Alex Smith, <laughs> where he gets a backside barrel, threads through a lot of it, 30 seconds of it, and then switches from pig dog stance into a seated position where his two feet are at the nose of the board, sitting down like you would sit in a kayak, and makes the end section of the barrel that way. Right. It's freaking so They do rad. it on purpose? Yeah. Gnarly. Yeah, or I don't know. You know, naturally, if you're in that pig dog, you almost naturally can just yeah. roll into that. Yeah. Or if you get hit by the foam ball or whitewash. back on your butt. Yeah, you kind of end up sitting down. Well, he ends up going from pig dog into sitting and then probably just like slings his right leg up onto the board. But it's so rad because he makes multiple sections, pig dog weaving, and then just, you're, again, it's the GoPro angle from like, maybe it was a mouthpiece, the mouth guard mount that he's holding it in. So it's a point of view angle. And then you just see his two feet on the nose of the board at some point. So you realize that he's positioned into sitting and then he makes, he threads a section or two sitting on his butt and then gets blown out. And he's like hooting. He's like, oh my God, you know, (laughs) it's so rad. That sounds fun. So I'll post that on surfsplendorpodcast.com. And then additionally, Lost has released License to Chill, an 11 part series with Mason Ho and his buddy Cheeseburger, Keone. Nozaki, I think maybe is the kid's name, but um, that's been the most fun thing to hit the internet in some time. You debuted part one at the boardroom show. Mason was there on hand to show it. Yep, it was awesome. Yeah, license to chill. Mason was a cool guy. I got to meet him. Super, super happy go lucky. Yeah, energy and how rad was the switch foot Mason did at the end of the of that section where he's in? I think he's at G Land or something. I forget. He goes switch foot and rides this wave. They're at Desert Point in that Oh, that was Desert section. Point. Yeah, that yeah. was Desert Point. Well, um, the video. Oh, yeah. Kelly Slater's talking about his wave pool on Good today. Morning America. Oh, Today Show. Today. The Today Show. Well, this is re- one of the Today Show girls that... So Slater and his crew invited mainstream media gr- um, people to ride it. So one of the Today Show Natalie people... Natalie Morales. Yeah, is, rides this wave. Okay. I This just aired today and I recorded it. But it was airing while we were here. Scott just pulled up the video clip. Where'd you find that? A friend of mine who's actually an engineer on this <laughs> sent it to me. An engineer on what? The Kelly Slater Wave Pool. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, so we can post the link to that on our website, surfsplendorpodcast.com and boardroomshow.com. Bunch of new footage that we've never seen before. And a, I guess Natalie, Natalie Morales surfing it as well. Um So anyways, did you watch The License to Chill, both parts? Part one was in uh, Bali. And it was super exciting because Mason Ho's doing his rock 
like he's surfing so close to the cliff at he's Uluwatu. playing with the rocks huh? he's like getting as close as possible as the wave is pushing into the cliff and then doing like judo kick floaters like doing a floater and doing a one-step kick out and stuff it was just so rad to see he ends up hitting the rocks with his board and smashing i think he it. likes to hit the rocks i guess so because then part two that he released just yesterday um He's doing the same thing on the North Shore at that one spot that he surfs in front of the rocks. Well, so. my must-see moment is, um, is I don't know if you saw this. I saw it on um, Swellnet, which is an Australian website. But uh, sorry, we're watching this Today Show thing. So on the Today Show thing, Natalie Morales is on the back of a jet ski, which is tracking in front of the wave while Kelly Slater is riding it and getting barreled. So she's in like a full suit, not a not a wetsuit, but like an actual reporter's pantsuit, suit, pantsuit, on the back of the jet ski while they're shooting it 10 feet away from Kelly ripping. Um, my musty moment is Dane Reynolds. There's something's old, something's new, something's borrowed, something's used. Yep. It's a bunch of kind of old footage, but it, it did fire me up to go surfing. Fired you up on Dane again, too. It fired me up to just... I, I watched it in the waves were complete crap, which it has been around here for a while. Yeah, he's surfing at home in Santa Barbara County. Yeah, and, and it did it. You know, it got me like, okay, I'm grabbing my twin fin, I'm going surfing. Yeah. yeah. What about it made you want to rip? Um, you know what was really cool is backside. He's doing this kind of like hip, like he's really kind of torquing his hips and really using his back foot and just doing these really fast kind of like snappy hits. But but what's really cool is when he's down at the bottom doing his backside bottom turn, you can really see him kind of generate power and torque with his hips. He he does a couple of these like, I don't know, you got to watch it, but you'll see what I mean when when he does these backside bottom turns. The, the, the sort of the hip rotation or the hip torque that he gets backside. Yeah. It's pretty cool. Uh, so that would mean you'd have to go left. Yeah, I go left, but <laughs> I don't I, think you did. Well, I, I, I quit going left when I turned forty, but I still make exceptions when it's a good left. Okay, You're which just, could which could be any time. Right. I make the the call. On I that. see. I see. Yeah. Have you ever paddled out at a left point break though since you've turned forty? Um, yeah. I mean, not maybe not a point, but a reef. You know. And then you went right. No, I went left because <laughs> they were all good ones. Right. Um. Uh, by the way, bunch of one of the my friends who's a listener of this show who I introduced you to referenced you never going left, and he said that he doesn't go left either because of that. But we did meet a bunch of fans at the show, which was I know, that was really cool. All the people that we met at the boardroom show all day, both days, you were walking up like, "Hey, David, this guy found me. He said he's a listener." Well, of the people show. would come up to me and go, "Hey, I love your show. Where's David Lee Scales?" I'd be like, "Oh, I had to like <laughs> you were like the star of the whole deal. I had to like." I was like your PR guy. You That's know, like- right. As it should be. <laughs> um, well, my must-see moment isn't those things that I previously discussed, even though I'll post them on surfsplendorpodcast.com. My must-see moment is the film Barney by Volcom. Did you see this? No. 30-minute piece that Volcom produced on Sean Barney Barron, who passed away this past year. Um, and, I mean, he's just such a fascinating character, and the piece is... 30 minutes, they did a really good job of illustrating the character that Barney was. And cool. Yeah, I really, really loved it. They interviewed everybody, uh, a bunch of people who were in his inner circle and had tons of footage, of course, of him surfing and interviews with him. and um, Barrel rolls. 
barrel roll stuff. I mean, the guy was an innovator, and I just I, – I was well worth my 30 minutes. So Barney is my must-see moment by Volcom. I'll post it. My Duke for the week is Alex Gray for a story that's been told over and over again, but it was retold recently, and I really enjoyed it. Um, Alex Gray is from the South Bay of Los Angeles, and there's a local media outlet there. I think they're really just a magazine called – our South Bay, and they started this new series called South Bay Strong, where they highlight a community member. And this time, they decided to highlight Alex Gray. It's not a surf publication, but they do honor the local surfers and the surf history there. And so they did this five-minute video piece on Alex called South Bay Strong. And Alex, one of the big obstacles that he's had to overcome in his life was the death of his older brother, who died of a heroin overdose when Alex was a teenager. And it rocked Alex's world. And what's interesting is that what we know of Alex Gray more than anything, more than his surfing exploits, is just that he's this super jovial, high energy, likable, affable dude. And so when you hear his backstory, it's kind of even more impressive that he's been able to persevere such hardship and such a traumatic thing and not go off the rails. He still exhibits like this very positive vibe. And so um, I think it's always important to retell that story and um, – you know, drugs is a big thing in the surf culture, of did, course. Um, did the Barney thing talk about drugs at all? Yeah, it did. In a very responsible way, I thought. And and one of the things that it said at the beginning of the Barney piece was like, look, we acknowledge Barney's substance abuse issues. We're not making this piece to look the other way or to um, to like venerate him as a person. Like – he was just our friend. It we was wanna... it was what it was. Yeah, he yeah. was just our friend. And what we're going to do with this piece is highlight what an interesting person that he was. Yeah, warts and all. We're yeah. not ignoring it. We're not highlighting. Oh, like, good. I'm glad they showcase. I was yeah. wondering about that. Yeah, no, That's they good. acknowledged it openly in the opening um, slideshow. You know, uh, s- slides that they put up right. before the video part started. So Alex Gray's piece I'll put on Surf Splendor podcast. Alex was at the boardroom show too, and he he oh that's right he took part in one of the um, big wave. Uh, seminars yep and he, it was good to see him i hadn't seen him in a long time yep and greg long was part of that aaron gold aaron gold was yeah part greg of that. wasn't there actually oh he wasn't no oh okay um, but there was some interesting stuff that Jeff went down Clark. well the most me. interesting thing that went down was the wsl like basically what what's pro surfing going to look like in 10 years right. seminar and maurice cole and i'm probably paraphrasing it because i heard about it secondhand from maurice but he basically said hey look if if the WSL had some cojones, they would make every single surfer in the WSL ride a sustainable surfboard. And you will see a paradigm shift in the surfboard manufacturing industry right away. Yeah, and and now the entire the entire, you know, pro surfing community will be sort of ambassadors for an environmentally sensitive surfboard. Mm-hmm. And and that'll make a big change. And then he, what was really interesting is that he pointed to Formula One race cars. And apparently Formula One, they just drew a line in the sand. They said, next year, don't show up unless your car is uh, whatever it was. There were some parameters that it had to meet. And But it was a big change, you know, right. and it was a big shock to the Formula One world. And they're like, holy crap. And, of course, they all showed up with, you know, instead of eight-cylinder cars, they were six-cylinder cars. And they all had certain emissions that they had to meet, you know parameters but anyway i thought that was kind of interesting you know like the power that the wsl has to make change um 
it could be felt yeah. rather quickly if they would pour, sort of put a line in the sand and say, hey, look, the performance isn't going to change. Like, you know what I mean? Like, let's get real. These guys are going to pump aerials on doors. Right. doesn't matter. Let's just do the right thing here. And the manufacturers will step up their game to then make the sustainable. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. It needs to come from up top. You know, yeah. it's not going to come from the consumer. Yeah. And it, when they all see John, John and Gabe Medina and these guys riding all 100% sustainable surfboards, mm-hmm. then, um, yeah. Maurice is an interesting dude. And by the way, is it pronounced Maurice or Morris? Both. Okay. Yeah. And cause I hear it used Kern to be refer to him as Morris. Cole. Well, it's Morris. It, it used to be, if you called him Maurice, you get pissed, oh, okay. but he's since, Softened. softened yeah Kern was but there it's, too it's really Morris um, yeah he's an interesting guy who by the way gets himself into hot water all the time on Beach Grit's message boards oh, yeah. or like in the he's comment section on Beach Grit <laughs> he's opinionated it's funny and, it, and then he, he fights back with people people talk crap and then he just does like 20 rounds back and oh, forth yeah, with no, him. Like, it goes on and don't on. even don't even get involved in this well, Maurice he's so so Mars has got this cool thing, right? The reverse V project with Tom Kern. Yeah. You've got to see this book. It's insane. It's one of the best, like, big coffee table glossy books I've ever seen. And it, it basically tells a lot of, of Morris's history, his, his upbringing. And then it goes into Tom Kern's upbringing. And then it goes into how they met and how the reverse V surfboard came about and how Kern used the board to, to go through the trials and become the th- uh, three-time world champion. I mean... Tom Curran had to go through the trials at every single event just to get into the main event. And he went on to win the world title that year on these reverse V uh, Morris Cole boards. And it's a really great book. And I think they're limited edition, but uh, I got a PDF version on my computer that I've been looking at and it's fascinating. That's rad. Um, my kook, I kind of alluded to it earlier in the show is are the jet ski drivers in Rio. For endangering the lives of our competitors. I mean, literally, guys, the ski didn't land on any of them, but it could. Have. It, it very well could have. They literally like charged straight into. There was one. I think it was with Kayo Abelli on the on the sled later in the rounds, uh, maybe round five or something. It was a freaking double up set wave. And the jet ski driver tried to charge the thing as it was breaking, like not and really. pitching. And there was no other way for it to end than for the ski to flip. And not only did it flip, it got airborne first and then flipped. It's like I don't know why he didn't divert and go right or left or turn the thing around. And the commentators were watching it, commenting like, "Oh no, what's he going to do? Oh no, oh no, 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 no!" You know, you just see this thing <laughs> unfolding, and it's again. <laughs> Every second is important in a 30-minute heat, obviously, so that's not good. But additionally, the surfer could get injured or his board could get smashed, and that was happening. Guys' boards were getting dinged on the jet skis. Um, Fin boxes getting punched in, all sorts of stuff. So uh, I know that Rio is the real troublemaker, and we don't have these types of issues at cloud break necessarily because there's a channel that they can dodge the waves through. But I'll post videos of the yeah. jet ski wipeouts in my kook of the week. Yeah, one final thing I want to say is um, there's this show on HBO. Uh, it's called All the Way, and it's it's a historical feature on LBJ, Lyndon Baines Johnson, and his struggle with the civil rights movement and the politics behind it all. And the guy who plays LBJ is Brian Cranston, who's the lead guy in um, Breaking Bad. Yep. So if you're into history at all, it's fascinating, a really great movie. On HBO, it's called All the Way. Good to know. Yeah. 
Awesome. Well, nice to get back into the recording booth, man. I know. It's been too long. We're sorry we took so long, but the boardroom took a little bit out of both of us, I think. No kidding, man. Life beckons. Work beckons. Yeah. Podcast gets backburnered. Yeah, we need to get paid for this thing. (laughs) Uh, We should be sponsored by the boardroom show, I think. We do such a good job promoting it on here. This, that's the only reason I do this thing <laughs> to promote the boardroom. <laughs> All right. Well, um, surfingheritage.org is who we need to direct people to because that's where we are right now and that's our home recording studio. We're yes. thrilled to be able to broadcast out of here and for them yeah. to let us use their space and Wi-Fi. Yes. Thank you, Surfing Heritage. Yeah. All right. Until next time, adios and aloha. Brother Don, could on keep on keeping on. We'll climb that bridge after it's gone. After we're way past it, oh, we ride behind. Shoot, all Dylan all day today. My uh, our local Los Angeles public radio station KCRW has an online channel called Eclectic Twenty Four. And they are doing 24 hours of Bob Dylan to celebrate his birthday. So I've had that on all day long. And it's been absolutely delightful. So they archive everything, I'm pretty sure. So you can go back, go on their website, kcrw.com, and you can get a link to that full day. Interviews with him, uh, cover versions of his songs, him covering other people's songs. Just all sorts of really interesting things. So check that out if you're at all into Dylan. And if you're at all into this show, surfsplendorpodcast.com is where you go to see all the videos, links, articles, everything that we discussed in this show. And uh, on social media, at Surf Splendor, share the show with friends. Help us spread the word. We will produce the content if you promote it for us. How's that? Sound like a deal? All right. Until next time, this is your host of Surf Splendor, David Scales, saying thank you for listening. And I encourage you, Get out in the water, catch a couple waves, and shred on.